0: Hey, everybody, we welcome you to the Sports Rivals. I'm Gary Thorne. We are delighted to have you with us. Our purpose here is to preserve memories of classic sports rivalries through the words of those who have participated in them. It gives you the uh, description of what goes on in competition in the sports world from the inside out. You know, we talk about this, and we usually are thinking about players, number one, when we talk about the competition and the rivalries. We know it also exists as far as managers and coaches are concerned in all of the sports. It exists in front offices. We're all obviously trying to outdo one another. It's a part of the competition in in every sport. There's another area though where there's also competition and that's in the press box. For those who are covering games, sports journalists have always been an absolutely vital part of sports in bringing what's going on in the games to the people. For so much of uh, our sports history that was done through the daily newspapers. Obviously, that still goes on, but there's been enormous changes in just the last decade as to what sports journalists are doing to get stories out to people with all kinds of social media available. So we're going to talk about that rivalry that goes on in trying to get stories, get them first, and get them out in this day and age. And our two guests have been involved uh, in doing this, for a long time. Bob Nightingale has covered baseball all the way back to 1986. He had been with the Kansas city star nine and a half years with the Los Angeles times has worked at the sporting news, MSNBC, and he is at USA today. Bob has been there as a columnist now for some 22 years. Just saying that scares the hell out of me. because It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't seem as though that's possible. <laughs> Scott Miller has been the, a national baseball columnist at Bleacher Report since 2014. Scott came up with Sports.com, covered the Minnesota Twins for the Pioneer Press, was a general sports writer with uh, an emphasis on baseball with the Los Angeles Times from 87 to 93. He's also a co-author of the book 90% Mental. He did that with the former pitcher in Chicago Cubs, mental skills coach, Bob Tewksbury. So Bob Nightingale, Scott Miller are joining us here today to talk about the rivalry that goes on in sports journalism and the mighty changes that have taken place as of late. Uh, guys, I'd like to, number one, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you doing this. And I'd, I'd just like to start conversation between the two of you by by asking, what is sports journalism today? What does it look like? When I say that word to you, what comes to mind? Bob, let me start with you.
1: Well, everything's completely different now, Gary. mean, now sports journalism used to be, hey, breaking stories in the newspaper, writing, you know, beautifully uh, written features. And now a lot of it is just, you know, guys you know, breaking a story in 40 characters on, on Twitter and that sort of thing. So I, I think the re- writing has taken a, a, a backseat. I think The Athletic has helped resurrect that. Uh, Scott does great long pieces in the uh, in brief Report, but I think now it's just throwing stuff out there. People don't even have the, uh, you know, they look at stories on their cell phones and not even the laptops anymore. You know, let alone newspapers.
2: Yeah, Scott? Twitter yeah. comes to mind immediately, Gary. Yes, um, I, I I hate to say it because I thought I mean Twitter. There's so much good about it, but yet so much bad. And and I think in some ways. Certain times of year, especially around the trade deadline or the winter meetings, you know, I think Twitter can bring out the worst in in our business because um, you know, it's like broadcasting play by play of rumors and in trade conversations or whatever. You know, say take a normal trade conversation, uh, it may take several permeations over over a week or two, and so when you're broadcast trying to cover every step of a, of a, of a trade conversation, uh, along the way on Twitter, it, 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 oftentimes, uh, you know, you're too far out in front or you can end up embarrassing yourself. And that's why I say it, 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 the bite-sized pieces that Bob talked about were that's more where we're at today. And in, in many ways regarding Twitter, it, it can represent the worst side of our business because, You know, I think I can probably speak for Bob in this. We grew up in a world where, where what you write in the newspaper or online, in journalism, like it, it, you strive to be as accurate as you can. And when people can just throw stuff out on Twitter, uh, oftentimes uh, there's erroneous information. So that that's that's kind of an ongoing source of frustration, I think, for many of us. Um, But at the same time you exist in in the world the way it is today. And you have to, you know, you have to, uh, to, to roll with things and, and, and try to, you know, do, you know, keep up with everything.
1: And then Twitter, suddenly something, something can screw up and just erase, erase a tweet in the, uh, yeah, in the back in the day with the uh, newspapers, you know, before the internet, you know, you're on that, you had that story for the entire day. You know, I remember, uh, T.R. Sullivan was working for the Fort Worth Star Telegram at that time. He had the story that A-Rod was, was a huge story, and the winner meetings was in Dallas, so maybe even bigger. So, but he says, you know, he, he had a good source, but he was still sweating bullets during half that day saying, you know, God, I'm, I hope I'm right here. Also else I look, I can complete moron.
0: Hmm. How, about, how about the rivalry then and now, guys, for getting a story? And you know, you you want to be exclusive. I mean, you're you're trying to be ahead of the pack on these things. Uh, compare that, trying to do that twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, to what it's like now.
1: Well, well I, nowadays, like Bob said, Go on, go on, Bob. You no, know, I say nowadays it's a uh, you know people just kind of sidling up to guys like agents. I, I bet. <laughs> 99% of the stories in baseball now are, are broken through the agents. You know, whether a uh, they're getting their clients been traded, whether a clients is uh, signing a contract, that sort of thing. So you see a lot of guys more compromising their positions now just to uh, get close to the agents and, and, and do favors. Uh that, that part, is not good at all for the business.
2: Yeah, and it, 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 it all comes down, Gary, to... It, it, so much of it comes down to relationships, and, and that's where it helps to have some years down, uh, some years under our belts. In that, over the, you know, there's no substitute for time in terms of developing relationships, be it with with players. You know, starting with teams, maybe we covered years ago. Um, you know, the, the players, the coaches, the managers, executives. And then as you gain trust and, and, and relate and add to those relationships over the years, it, it kind of expands your, your Rolodex, so to speak, to use an old fashioned term. Uh, it now, I guess it would expand your contact list in your iPhone. And So when you're chasing a story, it, it you, the more people you have, be it general managers, assistant general managers, uh, the more people you have access to that you can reach out and that will take your phone call and return your phone call or return your text that trust you and will actually give you some information. That's the whole, that that's the key. And, um, you know, as the fields expanded, it's, it's gotten so crowded, like so many things in life as with expanding websites and expanding, uh, you know national baseball writers mm-hmm. for example when i started at com as their national guy in 2000 um there were only about two or three of us i mean peter gammons had just gone from the boston globe to espn.com and i think fox sports had a, a a guy back back then it was before way before ken rostall he was still at the baltimore sun i think dave van dyke out of chicago was the fox guy so there were maybe three or four of us quote unquote national guys and and bob you were that was You You went to USA Today. You were with Baseball Weekly and then USA Today. You were a national guy right around then as well, correct?
1: Yeah, right. And you remember Dave he Van was, Dyke, he was the first guy at, at Fox. Yeah, not many yeah. national guys, yeah. So you had more
2: room to roam on the landscape. And if you got a scoop, it was still a little bit like the newspaper days in that you might have something you posted online or wherever your outlet was you know, and you, you would have it for a little while. There was no Twitter and it, it, it and now fast forward to today, um, you know, there are almost more, you know, as many national writers as, as beat writers. And so you've got so many people elbowing for room and, and trying to talk to the same people, the executives and whomever, uh, to, to get the stories. And, and I'll tell you one other thing that comes to mind, um, It'd be interesting, Bob. To see if you agree with this or not. The paranoia in our business, because of the competition to get scoops, is off the charts. And 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 just an example, like it, it's so funny. Almost every one of us, you know, you'll we'll be working at a ballpark, say wherever we're in, um, you know, at Camden Yards in Baltimore, and uh, you know maybe I would need to talk to Buck Showalter about something when he was managing the Orioles. And then, um, I, I may think I have a scoop and then I look and then, and, and I'm aware throughout the entire batting practice, okay, who else is going off to talk to Buck Showalter and you take mental notes. Okay. The guy, you know, from the Baltimore summer, the guy from USA today, Oh, what's he talking to Buck about That that's kind of both the fun, humorous and frustrating part of the business is, is you know, the paranoia. You're always aware of who's talking to who. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I remember you know, especially when the newspapers before the internet. Uh, you know, Tim Kerchian always tells a story. You know, and uh, when Tim was in Dallas, you know, of course the three papers: Dallas Morning News, the Fort Star Telegram, and uh, Times Herald. He says, you know, you get all three delivered to your uh, your driveway. You go outside, as Tim says, it was like looking at your report card. You're just kind of you're kind of closing your eyes as your fingers going down the front page, like, okay, I could have got beat too badly. It's not on a one. Then you go to the sports section, like, okay, just who had what? But, those, you know, those days are gone because now it's on, you know, Twitter again, catch up in, in in five seconds. You know, there was also the rivalry, too, where uh, I remember the Denver Post, the Rocky Mountain News was, was legendary. And it was, you know, bad in Dallas, too. I mean, where people from the sports staff didn't speak to each other. It was almost uh, forbidden. I was, I was covering game... Uh, with the Kansas City Royals, of Jack and Jack Etkin, and uh, Jack uh, Etkin was just plugging his computer and looks up, and he sees T.R. Sullivan, and then he says, hey, T.R., how you doing? Good, Jack. And that was the end of the, that was the, end of the uh, conversation. Jerry Frailey was as competitive as anybody had been around, working for Dallas Morning News, walks over to Jack, points his finger at his chest. It says, when you get so friendly with the competition? And that was it. <laughs> <happy. laughs> <laughs> so, did they talk for years? <laughs> no, it's,
2: it's, it's so funny. I can't remember my first year on the Minnesota Twins beat, 1994, going into Detroit, the old Tiger Stadium, that glorious old place. And um, it was one of the first trips. And you know, I, I was just starting to meet some of the writers. And these guys, by the way, uh, Back in the day, they they were almost heroes of yours. You wanted to get into the business, and and, and you knew who was covering which team. You would read the sporting news, and you knew uh, some of these names long before you met them. Jerome Holtzman in Chicago, for example. But anyway, first time, I I go into Detroit and uh, covering a Twins-Tigers game. And Tom Gage, uh, the longtime Detroit News uh, beat writer for the Tigers— uh, ended up winning the Spink Award at the Hall of Fame a few years ago, but um, after a game, we come back upstairs from the clubhouse. Because back in those days, too, you know, you you, you would have friends. Maybe you would trade quotes. Like I, I wouldn't have time to go over to the Tigers' clubhouse because I was working the Twins' clubhouse. I'd go upstairs to the press box, and then you know maybe you know you know, you know, you know Tom Gage that particular day. Uh, came up and, and, and said, by the way, did you talk to whoever it was, Tom Kelly? You know, I need mean, I need mean, did you happen to talk to Tom Kelly about whatever the situation was, you know, why he pitched uh, uh, to Alan Trammel in the in the seventh inning there or whatever. What what was he thinking? And um you kind of trade quotes, but I remember Tom Gage to the competition point. You know, Tom Tom came up to me and one of the first things he said was, look, he said, I don't care if you give a quote to the Detroit Free Press guy or this guy or that guy. I don't play that game. Don't worry about it. I, I just if you can help me, great. And if I can help you, great. And I'm not watching to see who who you're talking to. And I thought, well, oh, there's a
1: refreshing change. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the way it was. We used to those those notes calls, notes conference calls, uh every uh Thursday and Friday. So so if you look their sending those columns, there'll be like eight or ten of us in sharing notes and that would go on for you know two two and a half hours it's just painstaking and uh you know before you can put your you know notes on the computer and share them that way or uh you know obviously they went away uh, in time with the internet people can just look up their own stories but you know you get off a plane you know particularly I remember places like in cleveland and you go to the out of town newsstand and, and grab as many papers as you can. It's almost like, okay, this is stuff I never heard of before. Hey, I'll use this for my column because everything was just going in, in its own city. Uh, you know, I remember in the 88 World Series, uh, guys were the Baltimore Sun, uh, Ken, uh, Ken Baker. And uh, see Kent in in the lobby morning, and he's going in his car to drive the suburbs. He goes, I'm going to pick up some papers. I'm going to have some notes for uh, the paper tomorrow. I said, kid, the LA Times is right here. He just grab this paper. He goes, No, no, he goes, the Baltimore Suns almost the LA Times. So I gotta go get the suburban papers because nobody's seen those notes yet. <laughs> 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 You're always on the prowl
2: for nuggets. They were so important back in the day. And 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 Bob brought up a great point too. I clearly remember those two thousand those winter meetings in uh, uh, in Dallas, the year when TR Sullivan of the Fort Worth Star Telegram at the time broke the A-Rod to Texas free agent signing 252 million, just eye popping. And, and, and I mean, that obviously probably was, was one of the biggest scoops of, of, of our time. But uh, again, how things have changed as Bob pointed out, uh, you know, I remember in the newspaper days, you, you know, you'd have something for that paper for your paper and, you know, if you had something that morning, you almost you had twenty four hours to just kind of let your breath out and exhale because it was like you knew, uh, man, I beat my competition and it, it, on that, and there's nothing he can do about it until tomorrow morning's paper. So you you almost had like like the whole day to take a victory lap, and in a way, it, 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 once you got past the nerves of you'd wake up and check your competition's newspaper. And, and and like it, when I covered the Twins, the uh, Pioneer Press, uh, part of the town I lived in, I had to go out to the paper box. They didn't do home delivery on that side of the Mississippi River, which sounds crazy. But I would, I would know what I wrote. But I'd get the Minneapolis Star Tribune, and I check every morning. And you'd have that, you'd hold that breath. You know, oh my God, did, did did he have a story on the Twins that that I didn't? And then when they when when he didn't. You know, Jim Suhan and Lavelle Neal in those days, um, you'd be like, oh, you know, that was your first breath of relief you could take, you know, as you grab your morning coffee. And uh, if you had something they didn't have, you know, as I say, 24 hours, you're like great to go. Um, You know, now on the Internet, it's like somebody has a scoop and it doesn't matter. It lasts about 10 seconds or a minute and then somebody else matches it and in a way, it, it, if you're the one getting beat, it makes it a little bit easier because you don't have to wait that full day and just agonize and feel like an idiot for missing something until tomorrow morning's paper. So that part's good. But, but the flip side is in this Twitter world, we're all on 24-7 now. And you, if you get beat by a shoot, the great thing is you can make a few calls or put some texts out and, and you can come back with the story 10 minutes later. Um, but the flip side is um you're all day long you're checking Twitter and into the night and you're you're double checking various sources, various various places to make sure you're not getting uh uh you know, falling too far behind. And so now it's a twenty four seven never ending job. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, uh the camaraderie I think goes away too because of Twitter and stuff is like, you well, know, you can catch up in a matter of seconds. You know, people aren't sharing uh, information. I remember when I was coming to Kansas City Royals and, you know, Bo Jackson, I think it was his second year or so. Uh, a couple of guys that come to the Dodgers, Terry uh, John and then Gordy Burrell, come up to baseball and boardwalk where the Royals are training and says, ah, we got to talk to uh, uh, Bo. And I said, oh man, I'm sorry. You only you know talks like, you know, once a week, but I know he's not talking today. Uh, hey, I just did a, Big long profile on them uh, here. So so those guys, you know, read my tandy laptop and spent 30 minutes, took the quotes down, went back to the bureau and, you know, hit the bars and brought their story. (laughs) 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 And that was the way it was. It wasn't like plagiarism. We saw guys helping out guys. And uh, yeah, we don't don't see that nearly like we we did. Well,
2: Uh, I I was just going to say because, like, back in those days, again, it was before the internet. so when the, with the camaraderie, like you shared your Bo Jackson quotes with them and they wrote it for their own papers, their own markets. But again, it's back to people in those markets wouldn't have seen your Bo Jackson story back in the day because it wasn't online. So it it, it was almost, you know, like you could, wherever the cities were that were filing to be at Detroit or Los Angeles, it was, it was still you, know, new, you, you kept your own material for the Kansas City area, and, and, and in those areas, uh, you, were kind of, you were helping them out because they weren't gonna see, their readers weren't going to see anything online anyway.
0: Guys, I was going to ask you in light of this, that there's always been a need for background information you get from people that is off the record as opposed to what's on the record. Has that, the distinction between those two, has it changed because of the social media and the Twitter and all of that as to what went on then, what you took as background and would have made a great story, but you weren't going to do it because it wasn't intended to be public as opposed, is there more of that that goes on today, Bob?
1: Yeah, I think the lines have really become uh, way too blurry. Uh, you got to have a real trust factor of guys now to go off, off the record. You know, I mean, back then, you know, when your notebook wasn't open, everything was off the record. You know, mm-hmm. I'd you know, go on team buses, on team planes with the guys. Uh, hey, when they are done playing, I'm done writing, seeing them at the same bars and restaurants. Everything you saw, everything you heard, you knew it was off the record. And uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Hey, maybe some guy was complaining about the manager and you want to get traded. Yeah, you go to the next day and say, hey, can I write that? And I, I think nowadays, uh, I don't blame these guys for, for being very leery. And people don't know each other. I mean, the writers knew the uh, players. You know, I go to their parties. They come over the house and go out, that sort of thing. And those days are gone. You know, I mean, we mentioned the, the Tigers. Uh, God, those Tigers were infamous for you going down that clubhouse at one in the morning. You know, half that team is still there drinking beer and stuff like that and talking baseball. You know, not to get drunk, but just to talk ball. And come up through, uh, I learned from the, the Royals guys, you know, I owe so much to guys like uh, Hal McRae and Frank White and George Brett, Stayberg And you know, those guys, it just, everybody was talking baseball. You know, nowadays, you know, you walk in that clubhouse and, you know, half the guys already gone.
2: Yeah. I think uh, it, what I mentioned a little bit ago about relationships, that that's how you build them and, and where we built them. And one Area today regarding Gary the, the off the record stuff. Um, the, the first off, there has to be a trust factor, but secondly, that trust factor isn't quite there today, I don't think, uh, across the board at least, because again, with with the journalism industry, like many industries, being hit hard uh, by cost cutting and newspapers shrinking, um, you know, there, there's so many times, so so many in so many cities, there are young, young writers, uh, covering the team. And, you know, we all were young writers at one time, but the turnover today because of layoffs or, or maybe a young writer covers a team for two for a year and he doesn't really want to do baseball. He was just plot there because the other guy was laid off and now he's there for a year and then he moves on to the basketball beat or to go cover news or whatever, um, with the turnover, there's so many young writers that are unfamiliar to and I think from a player's perspective now, a lot of people on our side come and go, come and go, and that doesn't lend itself to the trust factor at all when when you don't a guy's not there long enough to get to know each other. I know you know when Bob and I started, a lot of the beat writers and a lot of in many of the cities had been there for ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, and it was the baseball beat. Used to be one in which once you were there, you stayed, and now it can be so transient. And um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's maybe good in some ways that that not everything remains off the record. Yeah, it reminds me, Gary, it goes back to the old Babe Ruth writing the train stories, right? The the, the yeah. legendary story where. You know, the writers, everybody traveled together and a naked woman goes running down the boxcar and Babe Reef goes after her, chasing her. And uh, the two writers that were on, on the train look at each other. And they look up from their card game and then one of them says, I didn't see anything there, did you? And the other one says, nope. And they went back to playing cards
1: and it was off the record. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, did, I did a story a few years ago, like what happened to the clubhouse? How come guys aren't staying together? Now, you know, you could be a lot of it to the, you know, the ban of alcohol in the clubhouse now when, when the, uh, the pitch up the Cardinals, Josh Hancock, got killed. And uh, it seemed like the beard disappeared after that. But I remember talking to Eric Chavez about that. And, and Chavez says, you know what? We don't even we really trust each other anymore. Not, it's not so much this immediate, even the player to player. He goes, you say something in the clubhouse, someone's putting it on Twitter or Instagram or tell us, you know, Members of her family, yeah, it's all over the place. So I, I, it's not just the, the media and the athletes. I think it's just even the athletes and the athletes themselves.
2: Yeah. And I, I, toward, I remember toward the end of his career, somebody asked Derek Jeter, you know, hey, all the years you've been playing, uh, you know, what's, the, what's the worst thing that you, worst thing to come along in baseball, the worst technology? And he didn't bat an eye. He said, the cell phone, a cell phone camera. And and now it, it's because the reason being, you know, players out anywhere in a bar, you know, some fan comes up and wants a picture and and, and ask, it's all an innocence. But if, say, it's, you know, a picture with a woman and it's innocent at the time. And yet then the, the person goes and puts the picture online and, you know, might spread. You know, hey, I was with their Junior last night, I dated him, or, or whatever crazy stuff they may say. and and um that I think that lends itself to the 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 whole social media aspect of life today, where, like Bob' said, players can be leery of each other, let alone the media. I mean, remember in the uh, just in the playoffs last year, remember the St. Louis Cardinals, they in Atlanta Braves series uh, the Cardinals outfielder Tate Mike Schilt giving his win one for the Gipper speech in the clubhouse right. before the game that, that was off, off color, which was shocking because Mike Schilt and, but you know, he never swears. And, and the guy put it out on Twitter and, and, or somewhere. And, and that was even within the clubhouse and the Cardinals had to deal with that, telling their own players, Hey, 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 you know, don't be putting this stuff out.
1: Yeah. Well, that's kind of the Royals. Remember. you remember know, this way it was it, in, uh, with Dick Cagle and we're coming in about two in the morning in Cleveland to the hotel. And when the uh, when the pitchers is going out, he's got a drink in each hand, a woman in each arm. And hey, see you tomorrow. You know, have a good time. I don't think anything of it. Show up at the press box next day, you know, those hot, stinky days in Cleveland, in and, and forgot that he happens to be the starting pitcher that day. So we say oh this is gonna be interesting. <laughs> So sure enough, you know, he lasts three innings, you know, and gives up like eight runs, seven hits, just classic. And they uh throughout the game, you know, we go to him and say, uh, hey, what happened today? Hey, you guys saw me last night, you know what happened. <laughs> we say, well, what can what can we what can we write? <laughs> I didn't have my good stuff. Man. <laughs> that's the <what> it was. <laughs>
0: I don't think it could happen today. <laughs> oh, man. I was as I've as I've gone through this, I've been thinking. I mean, <clears throat> I know over the years talking with you guys, writers in general, there's a lot of pressure from upstairs, your editors. And it used to be well, you you guys talk about going to get the other newspapers from the competition, and if you didn't have the story, the editor was on the phone and in your ear, no uncertain terms, what happened, why didn't you have it? Where does that stand today? How much pressure do you get? From upstairs, with with these stories that are immediately out, uh, and there's hardly time to even read them before the next one comes.
1: Editors respond quickly and say, "Hey, did you see this? You know, someone's tweet or something like that," and say, "Hey, we need something up fast." It's more a sense of urgency, and uh, hey, how can you get a story? It's almost like, "Hey, get this up as fast as you can," and uh, I think that's the way it is at. at at most newspapers now. now I don't, I'm not sure how many guys are, are screaming at the writers about, hey, you should have had this, just because when people have something, you know, they have it for twenty seconds. You know, it's not like waking up in the morning and you know, like Scott referenced before and you, you get to have it for twenty four hours. They <laughs> you get to have it for a minute or minutes.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think there's just so much going on today. Again in the social media world and on Twitter, there's so much information. It's coming at people today, not just us base, excuse me, us baseball writers, but even as you asked, Gary, our, our editors or the people upstairs in the offices, they've got the same situation. I think they, they've got so much information coming at them, whether it's some breaking football news or basketball news or baseball news, you know, plus they're dealing with whatever the budget and, and their bosses. and, and it's almost it's almost today, like everybody's just in survival mode. And if 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 some baseball story comes out, the editors, like as Bob said, it's more. Uh, you might get that phone call from Robs, hey, or a text even today. That's the other thing. You used to get the phone call from the office. I barely get those anymore. It's always texts or emails now. Uh, you know, you talk to people less than you did, and you know, you might get a quick text. You know, hey, this. Did you see this? So and so just had this. You know, okay, yeah, I saw it. I'm, I've got a call out. I've got a text. Out. And then you get the text back from the editor. Okay, good. Just want to make sure you were on top of that. And um, so, yeah, it's not so much anymore uh, where you get berated. Why didn't you have it? It's just, you know, is, here you go. Did you see this? Let's get something up on it. And I think it's because of what I said, there's just so much information flowing that, you know, even the editors upstairs, they don't have five or 10 minutes to give you a call and say, what the heck? Why didn't you have that? Because everybody's just bailing. seems to me everybody's just bailing water as quick as they can in today's information
1: age. Hmm. Yeah. And some guys are good natured about it. I remember, you know, Gary, you were there when uh, Adam Jones had the racial taunts uh, Hmm. at him at Fenway Park. And, uh, you know, because of small, uh clubhouse there, and they're bringing guys out. They're asking about different things. And uh, many Machado, you, you had a funny interview. <laughs> I was playing <laughs> time, but I guess it was a lie with Machado. you're squaring every other word. <laughs> and so I remember, uh, you know, Adam Jones is acting funny at night, like turning around the stands. So I I, I grabbed Nick yeah, you know, from the Boston Globe, and, and, uh, and we go to the clubhouse and grab Jones. I say, hey, Adam, something happened out there? And Adam, you know, kind of keeps all what happened with the racial taunts and people throwing stuff at him. So, going upstairs and, you know, write it quickly, you know, hits the uh, internet. You know, and then when the, uh, you know, Baltimore Sun guy says, oh man, tomorrow's going to be a long, long day, you know, he, he saw what I wrote because <laughs> it was tweeted out. But he wasn't, you know, mad or throwing stuff. He just, hey, yeah, he had a deadline and he had to go. And, you know, I had, I had a little bit more time on my hands.
0: Mm. Let me. uh, <clears throat> Let me ask this, kind of rounding it out here. Where, do news, where does the sports journalism and newspapers fit now and for tomorrow? Scott?
2: Well, I, I still think in, in a perfect world, we're the conduit to the fans. Uh, you know, we might get accused of asking negative questions here and there or, or – whatever but by and large i think we should be asking the questions to get the information that the fans want to know and that's changed formats it, it, it it's it's not the old-fashioned newspapers so much anymore is it you know, now it is online and and now we get the information out quickly but by and large i think the job should for the most part, be what it's always been, and that is to educate and enlighten and entertain the fans that, that that you know work hard every day and and can't wait for that night's ball game for to watch their favorite team play, and that can't get enough information. They want to know, you know, what, what, what about our pitcher tonight? You know, what, what, what about? our slugger and the guy, you know, the, our fifth place hitter that turned an ankle last week. What's, what's up with that? Um, I think by and large, that's still our job. It it takes on different forms. And I always look at it. Like I, I try to give the reader glimpses of places. He can't go, he or she can't go. Um, you know, with our press passes, we, we have access to talk to the players, to the managers, to the front office. And, and um, I think we need to be as entertaining and informative as we can to the readers. And, and it gets it's tougher and tougher as our access gets chipped away, um, as this trust we've talked about between players and writers or players and players or whoever it is, various forms, as the trust erodes a little bit, um, you know, the, it, it, and as newspapers shrink and sadly, in some cities close, um, I think there's always going to be a market for information, and it, 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 because fans are so into sports and into their teams, and they want
1: to know what's what's going on. Yes, that's right. I think many cases, far too many writers are writing for each other instead of writing for the fans and the. And the- readers yeah. and that sort of thing it's like hey let's let's be entertaining let's loosen things up you know what you feel bad about today you can have you know most beautifully written story that and you know, say a uh know two thousand words if there's one negative quote in there something negative that's all people remember they go to that and that's what people talk about on the internet and twitter and it's like uh you feel bad i mean you, you know you can have a manager saying uh you know 99.9% nice things about the LA Dodgers it says one negative thing out there. That's all people look at. So, you know, the, the attention span now is, is, is so low and so weak. And uh, that's what you know, I, <laughs> I'm surprised players even have Twitter to tell you the truth. You know, just, I can see if you want to get out your own, uh, you know, your own message or, you know, your own charities, that sort of thing. I remember a couple of years ago, David Price got it completely, and 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 prices, you know, right now like, I could tweet out, God is good. And I, I swear people would tweet back, no, no, he's a jerk. What are you talking about? You know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I wish people would take time to read, read the whole thing and not just grab a one little negative thing and thinking that all all stories are the same. Hmm. Yeah, and, and and that's
2: one area that's different today is for, from the past as well all these various websites that aggregate stories and, and what exactly what Bob just said, you know, there's so many sites now they don't go out and cover the sport, but they've got a blogger or they've got somebody that just combs through the internet and pulls out what we write and what the original material we get. And that's, that's the biggest problem. I think it, it, it with, with you know, the, what Bob just laid out, is is you know bob or i could write the story he just said talking to manager about the los angeles dodgers and 99 percent positive that, that but there's that one negative quote where a guy blasts somebody the aggregators that are not out at the ballparks that don't have to face people they'll they'll comb through and, and they they'll pull, they'll build their little blog about that one negative uh, quote that that'll what they're hanging their hat on and then they tweet that out and then everybody retweets and retweets and 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 then it just takes off like wildfire and yeah i do think there's a lot of there are, a lot of nuance is lost today you know if things are black and white or or the long story with the negative quote that's the one quote people hang their hat on um it, it gets frustrating at times because when you're out talking to people, as you guys know, there there's so many layers to different stories. And there might be six reasons why uh, a player is having the good year he's having and and you know maybe but 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 by the time you get to the third reason, trying to lay it out in a well-balanced story, people have moved on
1: because of the short attention spans. Right. Remember, back in the day, it's like if something was negative, someone goes, oh, you're writing that just to sell more papers. Now it's changed to, hey, click click, click me, click me. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) I was going to let you go on that one, but in your talking, I have have another question. Uh, I was just thinking about, you know, the player, that site, I guess Derek Jeter started, where the players got to write whatever they wanted, and it got posted, and it's out there is there a danger we're even going to lose contact with the people that you're writing about that they don't have to talk to the press anymore they're just going to tweet and instagram and and go online and write their own story we
1: can see that you know, particularly and you know I know the baseball Rush association was upset you know, it looked silly at the time when we were banned from the clubhouses you know before the uh, pandemic here and they uh and you know started writing letters to uh, or send emails to uh, MLB, hey, what's going on here? So there is a danger that the access will be less, If there's less access, and the players will be sending out their own message. You know, why, why do I have to talk? And they really don't. So, yeah, there, there's certainly that fear. Yeah, there is. And,
2: in fact, I would say each team now, one, one thing that's re- relatively new in the last few years versus even seven or eight years ago, each team now has its own, Instagram, its own social media account. And as such, they've hired some of their own people. Each club has a social media staff now. And between the players putting their own message out or the teams putting their own messages out, going straight to Instagram and and things like that, um, yeah, there's definitely a concern that, that... the players and even the teams don't have as much motivation to work with the the traditional working press because of the various avenues they now are getting their own message out. And you know, I mean, it's as an old school journalist, it it worries you because. Um, you know, the, the, many of these teams' Instagrams, you know, they're fun. You know, they'll follow a player from the dugout to the batting cage for batting practice and, you know, have, do whatever. But, the, the you know, mostly what you're going to get is the cotton candy, the fluff, the sugar, the, the, the happy talk from the teams. And that doesn't mean I'm always looking for negative stuff. But there's a fine line toward being well-balanced you know that that hey this is going on but also this is going on and uh you know uh, to hear only from the players and only from the teams you know you're you're going to get the one side of the story but not the full story
0: guys uh hate to end on a little negative there but I, uh I'm afraid <laughs> that that's where we're ending and that's the fact is that's exactly where we are uh I can't thank you guys enough Bob Nightingale who's uh the columnist with uh USA Today and Scott Miller, who is with the Bleacher Report. I really appreciate it. Just a a very interesting discussion and an ongoing one and one that clearly changes, I think, from day to day in this world. And after uh, after the pandemic, we'll see what uh, what it looks like in sports journalism. Guys, thanks a million. That's going to conclude the, another chapter of These Sports Rivals. If you'd like to learn more about this and other episodes, we invite you to log on, theseportsrivals.com. You can join the conversation, questions, and suggestions if you have some for future shows. You can follow us on Instagram at These Sports Rivals, Twitter at Rivals underscore podcast, and on Facebook by searching for These Sports Rivals podcast. Thank you all. Our thanks to Bob and Scott for joining us here and a look at the rivalry that still exists in the press box and trying to get that story. Thank you. And remember, it is the rivalries that make
2: the games.